Welcome to the Militant Grind Podcast. Today, I have a very special and courageous guest, Dana S. Diaz, a wife, mother, and author of the best-selling book, Gasping for Air, The Stranghold of Narcissistic Abuse. Uh, that title says it all, so we kind of know how the tone of this show is going to go. So with that being said, um, Dana, this, um, you know, let's go back to your childhood how you were raised, some of the things that she went through with your mother and your stepfather. Yeah. And, you know, we could just start there just to give a, a, a tone of like how everything came to be and what led you to write the, your, your best-selling book. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that because it's very unfortunate that most people who fall into abusive situations as adults have had abusive uh, pasts, you know, from their yeah. childhood. Um, you know, and mine, it, you know, I hate to say it wasn't that bad, but it was. And and maybe I was just unfazed because it was all I knew. But mm-hmm. um, my mother had me when she was a teenager. Um, obviously, I was not planned, nor did she want me. She actually had her tubes tied immediately after I was born. So, you know, I don't think she wanted children at all. Um, and she suffered a lot, you know, the ridicule and the shame, you know, our society wasn't ready for, you know, teenage mothers back then. So, you know, she put a lot of that on to me. She kept me kind of distant emotionally and she was very detached. Um, but, you know, I had a great grandma that loved me very much, you know, and like a mother should. So I knew what love felt like. It's not that I didn't have it. But once my mother did find somebody to marry, you know, I we were taken away from the rest of our family and went to live with him. Um, I didn't know what a narcissist was, but he is the king of all of them. Um, He's what you typically think about when you think of a narcissist, somebody that is just so full of themselves and has to make sure everybody is aware that they need to bow down to him. You know, he's the best. He knows everything. He has the best of everything. Um, He's it. And um, my mother submitted to that and went along with it like it was nothing, you know, to her, I felt like, you know, well, this man's giving us a a nice house to live in and he's taking care of us and all this. But, you know, I didn't like it. I didn't like that every single day he was verbally abusing me, telling me. And I mean, I was little, I'm talking five, six years old, it started you know, telling me nobody ever wanted me, nobody ever loved me, I shouldn't have ever existed, I shouldn't have been born, you know, all these terrible things. And throughout my life, he criticized, you know, even when I was little, my food, that peanut butter and jelly sandwich is going to make you fat, you shouldn't have those in your lunchbox, that pasta mother made for dinner, that's going to make you fat, your hips are widening, you know, and I was always a tiny little thing. So, just he was just cruel and then there was the physical abuse um you know he it started with little things like just gripping me too hard and and leaving handprints and and bruises up until you know i was about 17 16 or 17 you know when i was strangled and slapped around and thrown down a half a flight of stairs um so you know it wasn't it wasn't too happy uh most of my childhood And so it's unfortunate that when you live that way, even though it feels wrong and you know it's wrong and you know that's not really what love is, everything I was hearing, every all the words that were spoken to me, I internalized them. I really thought I 
deserved nothing more than what I was given. I thought that nobody would ever love me. I thought that I was worthless, insignificant, incompetent, incapable, everything that they made me out to be. And my mother even went so far as to tell me oftentimes when I'd go to her complaining about the mistreatment, she'd say, oh, well, he just loves you that much that he's expressing it in that way, you know, basically telling me that, you know, the pain and the love were one in the same. And that if somebody loves you, well, of course, they're going to hurt you like that and abuse you. So yeah, so it's no wonder. I mean, I, I always joke that it's not like people go out, you know, looking to date, you know, Chucky, nobody's trying to go you know, on it's an Olive Garden <laughs> with the guy with the crazy hair and a striped sweater and a butcher knife. It's just not what we're attracted to. Yeah, right. You know, these are nice people. They they look normal. They they're they talk sweet to you, and once they've got you lured into their kind of like their spider web, then you know that's when they start kind of pushing the bounds every now and then until, you know, you're in it and and you don't even realize it's happening until it's too late. Wow. And so going, I could relate to this, but this isn't about me, but I could relate to it in uh, many forms as far as like my childhood is concerned. But one thing I have noticed is that the woman that chooses the man that is the narcissist usually is a broken woman that was also abused. Yeah, it's very common. It it right. really is very, very common because, and I appreciate you saying that because so many people, you know, even now hearing my story say, well, you should have known, you should have seen the signals. And and I did. I mm-hmm. absolutely did. Um, as a matter of fact, um, you know, the, the first chapter of my book is right when my ex-husband walked into my life. Um, I thought he was a jerk. I thought he felt entitled to servitude. Um, he was very aloof. I did not like him. I didn't like him. And I spent 25 years with him. Yeah, he was a red flag. But you know what? The the thing about it was that I had, I truly did not feel that I would ever find love. So when he expressed an interest in me, I grabbed onto it. I went for the ride because I was hoping that maybe Maybe all these promises that he was making that he would love me and he would, you know, that I I was the one, all this stuff, I hoped for it to be true, whether I felt it or not. I just wanted somebody to love me. Wow. Yeah. And so do you feel like your mother was a broken woman who ended up choosing your stepfather? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, And they both had abusive childhoods as well. Um, you know, so I mean, can I intellectually understand it? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I understood that they didn't know any better, but at the same time, I was abused and I didn't abuse my son when I raised him. It, actually, I raised him completely differently. So I feel like it was a choice, but I always, that's why I always start my story with, you know, the fact that. We have to remember my mother did not want me. And the fact that she had her tubes tied right after I was born. I mean, I question that she obviously didn't want a child at all. I, I, you know, and I'm not judging that, but she had me and I feel that she was irresponsible um, with my life. She could have easily given me to a couple um, that would have loved me, you know, because they couldn't have children and, and they would have raised me in a, a loving environment. And, and she denied me of that. She chose 
to allow me to be mistreated. And, and that's a tough one to swallow. Yeah, I, I also feel that way, too, because usually the enabler, you know, they give excuses for the person like there's a narcissist <laughs> and then there's a narcissist enabler. But the enabler yes. justifies the narcissist behavior by saying, you know, like what you mentioned, like, oh, they they love you. They don't mean that. But then it's yep. like how, you know, you're saying this, but the way I feel is like you're trying to basically minimize the way I feel as if my feelings are invalid because this person really means this. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of exactly. And they yeah. have their reasons, you know, for right. my mother, like I said, she wanted to get out of the life that she had. And this man was significantly older and already had a home and, and was able to provide her things that she probably otherwise wouldn't have had. Right. And, you know, again, no judgment, but, you know, to be irresponsible and careless with me I was just a kid I can't mm -hmm. I had no way when you're an adult you can walk out of a situation if you choose to I yeah. couldn't and even when child services became involved I was lying that's what they told them I was lying and unfortunately you know they did their interviews of neighbors and co-workers and all that and oh yes these are lovely people they would never do that she right. must be lying then. She must be self-inflicting these wounds, you know? So I became the scapegoat too. So yeah. not only did I go out into the world starving for love and for any little bit of attention anybody would give me, I was a people pleaser because I needed people to approve of me and, and to validate me. I, I obviously looking back was codependent because I'd do anything for that little treat for that little bit, you know? whatever yeah. it was and whoever it yeah. came from. And, and it's sad to me, you know, that I was just kind of set up for failure, but you know, I, 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 I moved on from that. Fortunately, I, I was smart enough and self-aware enough to um, make the changes a little late, but you know, it's never too late to transform your life and choose a different path. Right. Yeah. It just becomes a problem when the people choose not to change, even when they're you know, brought the information that this is wrong. Like they figure out a way to accept what happens. And some people that do have the narcissistic traits, they're never going to admit that they were wrong. They will rather oh, lie. Goodness, to, no. they, they, were, they will lie to you. They will say they didn't say that. They will say they will do anything to yes. make sure that they were right. And that you were in the wrong, including making you look bad and you look crazy in front of mm -hmm. other people, which is, you know, which is a, a really traumatic thing, especially for a child to go through. Um, you know, a lot of the, the people, yes. you know, like say if, well, we're going to get into it, but if you were to choose an abusive situation, like you've been with your um, ex-husband for 25 years, because as a child, Maybe you felt powerless. No one ever stood up for you. No one was ever there for you. Yes. So you just learn how to cope with those abusive, you know, behaviors and the, the abuse that was happening to you because it was more so no cope with the abuse. This is what you're used to. It's not that yeah. bad. You're not, at least you're not homeless. At least you're not struggling. Exactly. Thank at least, you, you know, yes. at least you got a home. But then, you know, even with me personally, I, I would tend to be like, why would I? You know, I mean, those are the basic necessities and those are also right. something good to be, you know, something to be uh, appreciate. But then it's like that doesn't mean I have to accept, you know, an unpeaceful environment, no matter how much money, no matter how much support, no matter the food or whatever. I shouldn't have to cope with 
not being at peace in order to have these things. Especially, That's absolutely right. Yeah, especially when the person, like you said, it's a choice. So if these people, you know, have a, you know, well, I feel, I don't, I don't feel like the people that are, do have these tendencies can learn if they at least want to, like, they're not like psychotic. They're not on drugs and they're not like mentally disabled. So it's like, you know, it, you can, you can learn how to deal with, you know, your personality because it's, it's a personality disorder. So it gets, you know, I, I kind of have a fine line with it because I'm like, you know, you say you did the best you can, but did you really? You know, See, <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to actually disagree with you a little bit on this because narcissistic personality disorder and regardless of whether somebody has the label or not, which I can argue that point to no, no mm. true narcissist is going to go to any doctor to get diagnosed with this because nothing's wrong with them. Right. It's always the other person. But it I th think I, I will say this. There are, there are different types of narcissists. Mm -hmm. There are narcissists that aren't bothering anyone. I kind of liken them to tumors. Like you can have a benign tumor. It's there. It's not going to bother you. It's just what it is. But you have this malignant tumor that's going to cause you a lot of problems. It might even kill you, literally. That's mm -hmm. a malignant narcissist. Now, those narcissists, I do, they are psychotic. They are antisocial and exhibiting psychotic behavior. I don't think they can get rehabilitated, but I think the ones that are on the other side of the spectrum, you know, if they wanted to, they could. Mm. My issue is with anybody. And I don't care if it's a narcissist, a bully, whatever you want to call them. If somebody is intentionally causing you yeah. harm, choosing to cause you harm on purpose, that yeah. is abuse. That's yeah. abuse. It's yeah. wrong. Right. And there's no justice for most victims. They get to walk around at Walmart and at the gas station and everywhere you go. And you don't know what these people have done. Right. You have no idea. And right. some of them have done things that they should be locked up for. Yeah. No, that, that, yeah, that's true. That's true. I have a, uh, a friend of mine that's getting a divorce at the moment and and I talked to her about it and she said that, you know, I've been verbally abused, but I just don't know which is worse, verbal abuse or physical abuse. Because if I'm physically abused, I could heal. But when I'm verbally abused, it's going on in my mind over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's 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 like somebody has their foot on your head at all times. And that is a hard thing to control. Like yes. a very hard thing. Like people can be affected for life on verbal abuse. They are affected for life. And I, yeah. I, I am an example of that. I'm going to be 48 years old in two months. And I am still, I mean, I, I've gone through a lot of healing, but there's still the tapes that play through my head sometimes or something that'll trigger me back. I always felt for me that I, I could, the physical abuse, I, I hate to say it doesn't even affect me. Like, I don't even like think about it. Like, yeah, it happened and it sucked. But the things that were said to me, they really mucked up my life. They wow. really got in my head. I mean, it's like brainwashing when somebody's feeding you these thoughts every day and telling you, 
you know, these things about yourself, it affects mm-hmm. everything about you, your self-image, your self-esteem, um, your, your, even your desire to want to be alive. I mean, yeah. you just, it really haunts you. It really haunts you. Now it's hard because like yesterday I met somebody, I, I'm meeting a lot of victims now um, in my work and you know, I mean, she has hearing aids and had an arm amputated and, you know, has all this titanium in, in her face because of the reconstruction and things all because of physical abuse. I mean, mm-hmm. that's more than the beatings I got. Um, You know, so that's hard. She probably would think that verbal abuse would have been an easier route, an easier thing to deal with, whereas mm-hmm. I think the opposite. But you know, I think that we can't really compare the right. severity of our abuses um, because the pain is the same either way. We, you know, we yeah. do internalize it and we do take it, you know, very personally because it's an assault on not just our physical body or our, our mind, but it's an assault on, on literally who we are as, as beings, as humans. And mm-hmm. and it's it's a very personal thing to, and it's hard to, understand think that somebody hates you to that extent that they want to destroy you know everything about you yeah wow that's a that's a very interesting take but when it when it comes to abuse um one thing that i tell people is that you can never tell someone how they felt or how they're supposed to feel when it comes to that so if i'm talking about my childhood don't minimize it. Don't, you know, exactly. just take it as is because at that moment I felt that way. And there's right. nothing you could say to to change that because everyone is different. So someone might, you know, you, you could go up in the house. Well, if you had siblings, everybody probably would have been affected differently, but yes. I feel like there's, there's people that'll be like, well, look at your brother or look at your sister. They're mm-hmm. fine. And they're, it's like, you have no idea. You know what those are just because you see them, they might turn out to be a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever, but exactly. that doesn't mean that they're, you know, healthy all the way, like in their life with their mind and their soul. So I was watching um it was it's very interesting, like a documentary about Jake Paul. And so I you know, I really didn't want to watch it, but I'm just such a fan of the untold uh sports documentaries on Netflix. I was like, oh, I forget it. I don't have nothing else to do. It's only one episode, I'm gonna watch it, right? And so Jake Paul ended up being extremely successful when he was a a teenager by doing the being an influencer, doing videos on YouTube. Now he's successful as a boxer, but he's still traumatized by how his dad treated him growing up and how tough he was on him and didn't really show him any love. And so, it you know, he the relationship is estranged and his dad was like, well, look at what happened. Look at your life now. I mean, look at what I've created. But then he's still like unhappy internally, even though he's famous, even though he has money, even though he has all of these things. And and that's why I'm kind of like a big advocate for, you know, no matter what the outside, like what you mentioned earlier, no matter what, how the outside looks, you have no idea what's going on internally with anybody. That is exactly a hundred percent true. And thank you for saying that because a lot of times with narcissistic abuse, you know, 
and let me clarify this. When we talk about narcissistic abuse, it means a, a narcissist is abusing you, but mm -hmm. it's all encompassing. It's not just physical abuse or just verbal abuse or cut. It can be financial abuse, sexual abuse. You know, it, it involves the gaslighting, the manipulation. There could be physical abuse. There's stalking, intimidation, you know, mm -hmm. GPS is on your cars and monitoring everything you're saying and doing inside the house, outside the house, telling, dictating everything you should say, everything you should eat, what you should wear, what music you can listen to, what you can and can't do. There's all these rules. You're getting hit from every direction. Yeah. So it's not as simple as you know, if you're in a narcissistic abusive situation, you know, like for me, my ex was violent. He had a lot of violent tendencies, but mm -hmm. I managed to duck when he swung the crowbar at my head. Um, he missed me when he was shooting the gun outside my bedroom window. He, you know, so did I have physical outward, um, you know, ways to show that I was being abused? No, but all the other stuff, did people know that he was sitting on the couch every single night with a really nasty knife on the table next to him just in case I got out of line or didn't do something that he expected me to do? No. And you know what? You sit, People say, oh, I would never submit to that. I'd never. Well, I never would either. I never would either. But guess what? When that knife is sitting there and I know that he can shank me and I can be dead in a second guess who's going to suddenly do whatever I need to do to keep peace in the damn house, especially with my son. Yeah, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep everything calm. I'm not going to poke the sleeping bear. I'm not going to stand up for myself. I'm going to just go with it to keep things cool. You mm. know, so it it is very difficult to really sense what somebody is really going through at home. So let's go. So let's go to, um, when you and him met each other, when you guys started to date, like how was that? And what state of mind were you in during that time? Cause were you, were you rather young? Yeah. I mean, I was only 19 years old, barely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just thought I was going to go out in the world. Nobody's ever going to treat me like my mother and stepfather did, but you know, I mean, I'm just going to say what it is, the reality, whether people, you know, whatever they think of me, I, I was love starved. I was so desperate to find somebody, anybody that would love me. I honestly didn't even know if it mattered who I just wanted to be with somebody. I, I needed that validation outwardly that I was worthy of anything, you mm -hmm. know, because nobody have ever sought any value in me. And I didn't see it in myself because why would I for 18 years of my life living in my childhood home? All I was ever told was I can't, I wouldn't, I never this, I never that. Yeah. I'd never had any positivity spoken into me. So yeah, I was out there. I was lonely. I was desperate. I felt like an orphan. I felt very alone. And, you know, he was a jerk, but he showed interest. So I thought, well, maybe I should, you know, here's where the enabling and excusing comes in is, yeah. well, maybe I'm judging him. Maybe I should give him a chance. Maybe this, maybe that, but narcissists move really fast too. I opened that door. I stepped into that door that he opened for me and he just trapped me in. You know, within a night, he loved me. It was me and him against the world. All these wonderful things that I, I had waited my whole life for somebody to tell me. 
Oh, not even a week after that, I'm meeting his parents who are the loveliest people ever. I I actually think I fell in love with them. And I thought there's no way that they had a son. That is what I experienced. He's got to be a good guy. Maybe he's just being cool. And, you know, I don't know, but I'm like, there's no way that some jerk came from these two people. They were like Beaver Cleaver's mother and father. Like there's no way. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely adored them. And his sister and I were getting along, you know, I, I just, I, I loved his grandparents. I mean, he had me meet everybody like really fast and he had me moved in within a month and we got a little dog together within a month and, and, and we were just shacking up and it was him and I, and I thought, okay, this is a lot. And, and, and I'm a little concerned, but yeah. I actually thought in my head, if he feels so strongly about me so fast I must be missing something. I'll grow to love him. I mean, I'll grow to really, you know, we'll make this work because I mean, he, he must love me if all of this is happening so fast. Yeah. He must. Yeah. But then it's, I also feel that you never experienced love. So you were probably in a state of confusion, you know, like maybe this is how it really is when someone loves you. And maybe it's a blessing that I found someone that loves me, you know, because <laughs> it's yeah, like, well, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because with my mother having told me that, you know, oh, yeah, people mistreat you to the same extent as they love you. How was I, you know, the violent outburst here and the angry outburst there? Oh, he just had a bad day or maybe I shouldn't push, you know, or mm-hmm. if I wasn't so this or that. I just I thought it was me. I thought I was the problem. And as time went on, I was blamed. Everything did come back to, it was always me. I was the ultimate scapegoat, you know? And and the next thing, you know, like I said, we're, we're in it, we're married. We have a kid, we have a house, our families are intertwined. And, and then what, you know, people say, if it was that bad, why didn't you leave? Well, you know, anybody in any situation, tell me that it's just easy to just up and walk out the door. I was not leaving with my son, number one. And what was I going to do? You know, he had me financially dependent on him for a little while. I was still working, but not as much, at least right after my son was born for the first year. So I was working minimally, like part time. I couldn't afford even an apartment for us. Where was I going to go? What was I going to do? You know, you can't just up and walk out. So you hope. And And the thing is, is it goes back to the dating, like how I said, we don't date, you know, Chucky. There are times when it's good. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this constant push and pull. Things are good. And then they snap and things are really, really bad. And then it's good again. And then it's bad. So, you know, there's that possibility. So you hang on hoping and waiting for those good times. And you hear all this rhetoric around you, you know, whether it's on TV or in magazines, wherever, from people, you know, you know, marriage is hard work. It's not always fun and get, you know, so, you know, there's going to be ups and downs and, and, and you're trying to rationalize everything. Right. But as this is happening, they're still pushing those bounds, pushing those bounds. I mean, in the beginning, yeah, it was a hockey stick and then it was a crowbar. And then by the end, the knife came into play and the gun and, you know, mm-hmm. gets a little worse as time goes on to where you, you kind of look back and are like, holy cow, how did I get from point A to point B? Like, I didn't even see it. Yeah. You were in it, but it happened little by little by little over time that, 
you don't realize until it's too late how really, really severe and how bad it really is. Yeah, it's that's interesting because, you know, I, I had a friend who was dating this girl and they lived together and he was like, I, I, I broke up with her. I'm done with her. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what happened? She hit me. I had to I had to let like I don't do that. You have to go. And he just like nipped it right then okay. and there. And for me, you know, I experienced women pulling knives out on me, you know, trying to wow. stab me. You know, oh like gosh. I'm talking about on multiple occasions. Oh you know, like gosh. you're taking my clothes, throwing it in the living room, tearing down pictures. And I, you know, I I never, you know, I never touched her or anything like that. It was just a lot of irate things, but then I still, you know, like me as a man, I still stay like, oh, well, maybe that's just, but then it kind of, now that you, you know, said what you said, it's like, why didn't I cut it out as soon as I seen those traits? But he did. He saw those traits. He was like, oh, no, no, no. I can't do this. You hit me. Oh, no. And I can, and it's I just because like, he but was I firm thought- in his boundaries. He was firm in his yeah. boundaries. Whereas, you know, unfortunately, when you've had, you know, more troublesome childhoods like we have had, you tend your boundaries are a little more flexible because you oh, have yeah. learned that you have to be flexible in order to yep. keep the peace or fly under the radar. And you don't want it coming on to you. You don't want to provoke anything. Whereas somebody that has you know, had a decent childhood where they're, they're validated and, and, and they are told how to, you know, deal with conflict in a healthy way can set that boundary. Yeah. I mean, that's probably one of the things now that I've been out three years, I mean, 45 years of my life, I had pretty much no boundaries because I let everybody do whatever they wanted. And it's still uncomfortable for me, but I'm getting better at saying no, or saying, you don't get to talk to me that way you know, this conversation's over, you know, saying those things, like mm-hmm. you said, nipping it in the butt, but you know, it's not easy for people like us to do that after what we've been through. We're used to people, you know, kind of walking all over us and letting them. Yeah. Yeah. But then you also cause trouble. Yeah. You're conditioned to believe that that type of treatment is okay. Right. You know, which is, which is kind of like crazy because it, it baffled me. Because growing up, when I started going out in the world and seeing how other people operate, it kind of it confused me. You know, like I was <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I was like, what? You talk to your parents every day, huh? That's crazy. I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I haven't have talked good... to mine in years. <laughs> right. <laughs> like your dad just calls you. I remember I never forgot in high school, um, in two thousand in the year two thousand when I was in high school, I was in the locker room. And the Lakers just won, and I'm from LA, native of LA, right? So right. the guy, one of my friends was just talking about how when the Lakers won, he got up and then he hugged his dad. And because he was so happy. And I was thinking, like, what the fuck? You hug your dad? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I would have had the same reaction. Yeah, like I was like, what? I'd have been like, that's cool, but not the person I would have chosen to hug, but all right. <laughs> but then wow. it was like, how? Because I, I didn't grow up with just like, I'm just so happy. It's happy. I want to hug you because I'm happy. You know, it was like right. more so like you're in the house. I'm going to greet you. And that's it. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, yeah. it's just a weird, it, it was not weird. It's just kind of, it, it just really shocked. It was, a, it was, it's always a culture shock with me. 
I say when I go to when I um, go around other cultures and other people and I just see their ways of life, then I start thinking because when you're growing up in these type of situations, you don't know any better. So you think it's okay. Right. But then when you go in the world and you see how other people interact, you're like, hold on, this wasn't cool at all. Especially when you have your own children. And because yes. I, I deal with this with a lot of even my friends, my siblings, I feel like that's one of the worst times is when somebody that's been through abuse has a child and they're looking at their child and they're like how could somebody treat me this way when I was that young because I could never do that with to my child and it just <laughs> beats them up you know in their head like when I was young and now I was like wow you know and I, I and I've noticed that with a lot of people like they tend to look at the faults because they love their child so much and they just can't picture you know, like them experiencing the same experiences that they've had, you know? I I do know all too well, because honestly, by the time I was about 12 or 13 years old, I, I was very vocal with my friends. Like they're all talking about, you know, getting married when they're older and having, you know, five babies. I was like, oh, no, uh-uh. not for me, not for me. Not that I hated children. I, I love children very much, but I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to take that risk. You know, they say that you tend to turn into your parents or one of your parents. And I was like, no, 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 sir. I am not going to put a child in my care when I have no, I have no idea how to raise one. I have no idea how to love one or nurture one. You know, I saw other kind of like how you're saying, I saw other kids and their relationships with their parents. And I was happy for them because I didn't want anyone to have my life, but I was terrified. So mm -hmm. I had a few miscarriages and I thought, well, that's God telling me right there that I have no business being a mother. But then when I decided like, actually, maybe I do want to be a mom, you know, your clock starts ticking when you're a girl sometimes. And, you know, we decided we'd have our son. And yes, I, 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 I just remember looking at him and thinking exactly what you said, that there's no way, no way anything, I, I would never let any harm come to him. I, 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 he was, he was my baby. I was there to protect him and nobody's ever going to love this child more than I love that child. And mm -hmm. I still feel that to this day. And even though he's 20 and he's a boy and he doesn't want mom like hugging on him and, <laughs> you know, loving on him or saying anything nice, I still tell him every single time I see him, just in case it might ever be the last time, love you always will always have most oh, yeah. of all. Because yeah. that's that's my son, and I want him to know. I don't ever, ever want him to think for one second that I don't love him more than anything else in this entire world, and he does know it. But it just sickens me, yes, when I look back at my childhood. And even now, I mean, I'm completely estranged from my mother and stepfather by their choice, um, but it, it does make me sick that, you know, I came out of her womb. I mean... And like I said, I mean, just to act so irresponsibly, to not want me, but then to keep me, like to make me suffer, like, what is that? What kind of a human being are you? That's, yeah. I just don't understand it. And I don't understand even, you know, our mindsets, how I could come out of that house feeling and thinking so differently. But now you were talking about siblings before they had, my mother and stepfather had a child together. She had her 
tubal ligation reversed, I guess they can do that. So then Mm -hmm. she could have a biological baby. And they had a son together, my half brother. I'm 14 years older than him, but boy, if you had him standing here right now, he would tell you, he would make you think he had the best parents that ever lived ever in history. He was supported and encouraged and lifted up. And he, he had every kid's dream parents, not me though, but it was a choice. They chose not to just like there's an old book from the nineties called a child called it. And it was one of the worst cases of child abuse in California history, supposedly, but in this book, which is very triggering, by the way, but a very good, well, if you can call it a good read, it's horrific, honestly. But the child that is called it that was abused was one of, I believe, five children in the house, biological children from the same two, you know, the same mother and father. But that part, he was the only one that was singled out and abused. And and the abuse was just, I mean, when I say horrific, that's an understatement. But the other kids saw it, witnessed it, just thought it was just another day in their house, didn't Mm -hmm. do anything to stop it. The other parent didn't do anything to stop it ever. It's disgusting. Yeah, I couldn't read that. Um, So I sympathize with, I sympathize a little bit too much with abuse victims, like, you know, I'll probably be like, where is he? You know, like I'm that right. type of person because I can't, I cannot do it. You know, because I, I mean, number one, I just know how it feels. So for yeah. me to even know that somebody feels that same way, it just, it triggers me, you know, but. Yeah, I do know. Yeah. I, it is because I, I, I know there are a lot of people who say, oh, I don't understand. I don't understand why you're upset about this or that. And I'm like, I don't want you to understand. Right. I don't want anyone to ever understand. And if you understand, then I just want to give you a hug and tell you, I'm sorry that either one of us had to go through it because yeah. nobody should. But, you know, it's sad to me that, you know, since publishing my book, you know, and being, you know, more known on like Facebook and Instagram, all this stuff. There are so many people who have endured what we have endured. And it, it makes me really, really sad. This mm. should not be a hot topic, this abuse. <laughs> right. Honestly, no, it shouldn't it really be. Is, so. I, and yeah. it is everywhere. And these people, like I said, are still walking around. There's no justice for victims. And we're told we need help. We need the therapy. Yeah. How about the people who are doing choosing to harm us in this way? Where are right. they? What about all the people that die at the hands of their abusers that aren't here to stand up for themselves or to vindicate their deaths? What about them? Right. There's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Now there really is because people committed suicide, drug yes. abuse, you know, promiscuity. It's, you know, yes. it's a it's a lot, you know, a lot of people could, and now. I don't, well, you know, I don't really, I look at people that were victims of this and I have an understanding of them because I feel like every, every person that decides to in, in, you know, in, in do certain behaviors is usually because of a pattern or something that they've, they've gone through. Now, like you, you say you were a people pleaser and, mm-hmm. you know, you wanted attention, but me, I was a class clown all the way until college. You know, and people used to look at me like, what is what's up with this dude? But I just thought it was, you know, you just you're just not aware of it. I was always a smart kid. But, you know, it's like 
it, you know, when you go home, it's not a healthy environment to learn. You're not encouraged. It's like, oh, you got bad grades. So <laughs> something must be wrong with you. It's never, mm-hmm. you know, it's never, oh, you got bad grades. Let's sit down, talk about your classes. You know, let's uh let's let's get you a tutor. What are you having problems with? Hey, you got a D in that class. You need to sit down and study this weekend for the test. I talked to your <laughs> teachers. It wasn't it wasn't anything like progressive. It was more so just like damnation. You yes, know, the and, and I can relate to that tremendously. And I, I too was very smart. They actually wanted to move me up two grades. I scored very high on tests, but my God, if I did not have perfect, perfect grades, I, I was actually locked in the bathroom a couple times, like literally locked. Like I could not get out of it because I was told I had to study and I had to get a better grade. I had to pass that test. I was grounded for a month until I could get, you know, that grade up. And I'm like, what more do you people want from me? Like, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, my my IQ and it's not a brag, but it's pretty high. And, you know, what more do you want? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I could get into a whole thing about our education system, but yeah, you're held to a very high standard. But I feel like, especially with narcissistic parents, you're he- held to a high standard because they want you to fail. You know, if they mm. set the bar that high that it's like crazy out of reach, they know you're not going to achieve it. So then they can say, yeah, well, we knew you were stupid. We knew, you know, wow. I mean, even when I graduated yeah. college, you know, with my bachelor's degree from DePaul University, it's a it's a good university. Yeah. And my stepfather said, oh, well, your your uh, bachelor's degree is like having a kindergarten education. Like he couldn't even say, like, good job. I'm proud of you. Never mind that I worked full time and had a part time job while I was going to school full time because I was trying, I was just trying to get some money together to get the heck out of there, you know, and and (laughs) get my life going. So I didn't have to have that, you know, being berated constantly with all this negativity. But, um, wow, that's interesting because I always wonder why are my accomplishments so minimized? And I noticed that um, I moved to Atlanta from L.A. and I went to a junior college out there. And, you know, for a year, everybody in the neighborhood knew my friends, parents knew mm-hmm. all of that. Right. They were like, oh, OK, cool, whatever. You know, usually people just say that and nothing ever happens. Right. But then I ended up getting into Morehouse College and, you know, I called my I was excited. I got the letter. I called my parents and it was like, oh, OK, that's good all right, well, all right, well, let's figure out how to pay for it. Uh, You know, it was Mm -hmm. like bland. But let me tell you, when I came to LA and I see my friend's parents, they were so excited. They hugged me. You went out there, you did it. You you did exactly what you said you was going to do. I'm so proud of you. And I was in shock, like, what? You know, it it was just so different. And I was like, I don't know. Now that you say that, like, I always tell that story. I even told that story to my friend and he told his dad and his dad doesn't even remember because maybe he's just used to being that type of person. But when you're like, when you never experience that, it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a surreal moment, you know, even, even, yeah. Even till this day, when people say good things about me, it's kind of surreal for me. Like, it's kind of like I'm in the twilight zone, you know? I do know. And I'm like, whoa, what? (laughs) Like I've even looked up imposter syndrome, like even recently, because I'm like, maybe I have this because I just don't see like, you know, 
people tell me how brave and courageous and, you know, the book, it's supposedly doing very, very well. And, you know, all, I, I, I have achieved a lot in the last couple of years. And, mm-hmm. but I don't like, to me, it's just like, it's not a big deal. Like it is a big deal. And I think, I feel like it should be, Yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's like we're taught to minimize it, but I know in my childhood, and I actually wrote about this in a book that's coming out next spring, we're in the process of publishing about my childhood and Mm -hmm. what led me into the narcissistic relationship as an adult. And one of the things I noticed too, is that whenever I showed any promise or achievement or success in any way, like for example, I played viola. Um, Mm -hmm. I was first chair viola in the school orchestra. Then I earned first chair viola in a symphonic orchestra in, you know, like Northern Illinois, like it was a big deal, but, oh, well then you can't play anymore. We're not paying for lessons anymore. Okay. So I taught myself to play piano. I started writing my own music because for me, it was an outlet. It was a way to express myself. Well, then I couldn't have piano lessons anymore. I couldn't play, you know, dance. I showed promise in dance, no more dance. It's like they could not let me achieve anything. I had to be a failure, like almost just so they could feel right about me. And even now, like publishing a book is a pretty, a pretty big deal. And I wish I could have been happy on the day that I published it, the day it came out. And to this day, I mean, I know we're estranged, but I'm like, my God, I think I could win the Nobel Peace Prize. And I still wouldn't get a call from my mother saying congratulations. Or I'm proud of you. I cannot remember one time, and I'm going to be 48 years old in two months. I cannot remember one time that either my mother or stepfather said they were proud of me. Like, what do I have to do? And I was a good kid. I mean, that's the one thing. We minimize our accomplishments because we never had anybody telling us that we did good. And yeah. to this day, yeah, I, I have people compliment me and I don't know how to take a compliment because I'm just like, no, it's no big deal. Like I'm kind of trying <laughs> to hide, like don't put the attention on me. I'm just me. I'm just doing my thing. And 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 that's yeah. all I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's that's crazy because uh, when I moved to Atlanta, I'm from a predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhood in L.A., right? And so it's my first time going to the South in Atlanta and I have a teacher. And, you know, when you're in the city, and you think about white men in the South, you think of them to be racist, mean, you know, what yeah. they projected to us on TV. You know, like that's all I seen when it came to a Southern white male was that he's a racist and he right. has to be racist because slavery was here and he's white. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was a, you know, it was bullshit, ignorance, right. but yeah, that's just the conditioning, like we said before. So my English teacher, um, he was kind of like, not to say, he was kind of like infatuated with me because the way I wrote and he just loved the way I write. And he would just like, you know, he was like, Sherman, I'm going to be proud to say that I know you one day. And I was That's like, cool. what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like it just threw me off because I was like, first off, you're a white man in the South. And you know what I'm saying? Like it kind of like, yeah. it threw me off so much. And I never forgot that moment, but I just couldn't take it. You know, I was like, nah, it gotta be something, you know, like there's no way you think this about me because my whole life I was taught this and, you know, about myself, right. but then I'm 
you know, like you, you're, you know, you're older than me. You have more life experience, but is there any way that someone like us or people like us could end up filling that void in some kind of way where it's like all of that we, all that we achieved, we could actually like feel genuinely happy and proud of ourselves. I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm only getting there very recently, but I think that what was the turning point for me, it was a couple of things. Number one, accepting my past, um, and, and releasing myself of the burdens that other people put on me, you know, Mm. their, their shame and their guilt and whatever their insecurities and all that, they put that on on me so they wouldn't have to deal with it. But I, I kind of came to the conclusion. It took a lot of, a lot of soul searching and, and, and deep stuff to get there. But where I was just like, you know what, it's not my burden to bear either. And I got to release that. And I got to forgive myself for carrying it for so long. Yeah. But once I released that and I started to be you know, it was really hard because again, it's that setting the boundaries, which I was never comfortable with. And I was uncomfortable asserting myself. But um, once I started setting boundaries and surround being choosier about who I surrounded myself with, Mm -hmm. and who I submitted myself to like who I allowed access to me, my life started to transform and my life has transformed completely just in the last three short years. So I can attest to this, but being around people who are for me, who speak positively to me, and I'm not talking about like the yes men that are, you know, pussyfooting and like, you know, oh yeah, you're so great. And no, none of that. Mm -hmm. You know, like my husband, for example, he has shown me what unconditional love is you know, like I, I always use this example, but it was something that was funny that happened a month or so ago that I was having a day and he came near me and I'm like, stay away. I don't even like myself today. Like I'm just, (laughs) it is just not a good day for me. And he said, well, I don't like you much today either, but I love you. And he took my hand and, and led me out to the kitchen and we cooked dinner and we had a lovely, we were laughing and everything was okay. And I'd never known that, you know, like I thought if there was something wrong with me or if I was acting a certain way, man, I, I might be ignored for the next three weeks. I might right. be screamed at or, so, you know, so it's being around people like him and the few friends that I've chosen, you know, that, that, you know, stick with me no matter what, even through the bad stuff that know who I am and are there for me a hundred percent. And, but the positive thing, and it's not, I, I don't want to say like, go into this era of your life where you're like positively toxic, but there's a difference (laughs) between the last 40 some years of my life where I was constantly told I can't, I won't, I, I I shouldn't, I, you know, no, 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 no. And you'll never be, and you never will. And like we were just saying, none of our achievements are, you know, nothing's ever good enough to Mm -hmm. having somebody say, wow, I'm really proud of you for publishing a book or, wow, you've been on 50 podcasts. That's amazing. Like when people are just supporting you, yeah, boy, you start to, your, your self-talk in your own head starts to change. And over time, your perception of yourself, your self-esteem gets to at least a, 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 
better level. It, you know, I, I'd like to say some people can achieve a healthy self-esteem, but I still think it's hard for us, you know, sometimes to take the compliments or give ourselves credit. But I think that comes with practice and you have to interact with people to practice kind of your, your yeah. self-regulation and your reactions and your triggers and all that. Just be careful of who those people are. Make sure they are not people who are going to judge or criticize or make snide remarks or yeah. abandon you when things get bad. If you got the right people around you, whoever they are, they will mm -hmm. fill that void. Do I wish I had a mother? Yes. And it sucks that I have one and she's alive and she doesn't want to be in my life. Do I wish I had a father? Well, yeah, that same with my mother. And I do have a biological father and we are, you know, in communication and he's phenomenal. And I appreciate that. But there are other people in my life that I've discovered, you know, the first time somebody told me they were proud of me, it was a friend's father-in-law that I'd just come to know over, you know, 15 years or so. And he told me he was proud of me. And I remember I, I had tears coming out of my eyes because nobody had ever said that to me and it meant so much. So, you know, he was wow. that father figure to say that to me. It doesn't have to be somebody who's biologically related to you to fill the mother void or the father void or yeah. whoever it is, you know, it can be anybody. And, and then eventually you learn to find it within yourself where I can say, wow, I achieved this. Not bad girl, you know, like I'm doing okay, you know, mm -hmm. and where I can be happy about it, but it takes time, but you can get there for sure. Yeah. And I, I use discernment uh, myself a lot because instead of thinking that something was wrong with me for let's I'm going to talk about triggers because you mentioned that a few times, mm -hmm. because when you get triggered, you think that something is wrong with you. But well, I do. I think that something's wrong with me. And I remember my family like laughing at me uh, because there was a part of the Matrix when Lawrence Fishburne was sitting in the chair and he had like an angry face, you know, before he ran and jumped off the building and his face looked crazy because my family was like, oh, that looks like Sherman when he gets mad. And I'm just like, you know, and, I, and they thought it was funny, but I didn't think it was funny at the time because it's more so like, I don't want to be mad. I don't want to get mad. But then right. if someone takes it there, I that's just a human reaction. I have to react. But then it's like, why do I have to control me getting mad from someone else doing something to me? You know, cause I'm not like an antagonist or nothing like that, you know, right. but it's more so like I need to separate myself from people that get me to that point. Exactly. You know, it's not that something is wrong with you. You need to calm down. You need to do this. It's more so like, you just don't need to fuck with me. You know, like, well, how about that? Maybe I should separate myself and get away from people that trigger me in those in, in, in like, cause I can't, I can't deal with it. You know, like yeah. the other day, a guy came up to me in the gym and you know, he was like, you've been on this machine for too long. Get up. And I was triggered, you know, cause he came at me aggressively and I snapped and he said, okay, I'm going to tell the manager. He told the manager, you know, two big guys walked up. Like these dudes were huge. And I gracefully talked to them. I said, look, man, this is what happened. I was on, you know, on the machine. Da, da, da. And it was like, oh, so he started. Okay, I understand. 
You know, and they right. see me in there all the time. They know I'm not out here, out there just acting irate, coming at people crazy. You know, it's more so like, you know, I, I say, excuse me, I'm polite. But this guy came to, came up to me and he triggered me. But mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, they were cool with it. They were just like, you don't need to say no more, whatever. You know, but then I was like back, you know, a couple like when I was growing up, somebody like that would be made to be the bad guy because you reacted in a way like that from being disrespected. But right. the person that did the disrespecting is never really blamed. Exactly. You know, so yeah. now that, but I'm in like two totally different environments. I was in, you know, the gym I go to was in a very affluent neighborhood. So, and I feel like those people have access to different emotional responses and educational, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that. So it was like, they didn't look at me like a bad guy. Like I just said the story and they were like, okay, man, cool. Hey, whatever, you know? Right. right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and I've been in a situation like that, not that long ago too. And, and fortunately they knew me. They're like, yeah, you don't even have to explain yourself. Like we totally get it. But yeah. yeah and, and the thing about life is that, you know, are people going to tiptoe around us or be sensitive to us? No, life is full of different people. That's the beauty of the world. We are all different complex beings, but you know, that's where I take, you know, whether it's, it's, a unfortunately, whether it's a parental relationship, a sibling relationship, a romantic coworkers, whatever friendship, mm-hmm. not everybody goes together, right? You click right. with some people, you don't click with others because people ask all the time, well, what are the red flags? Well, my red flags are going to be different from yours. Yep. You know, even my narcissistic abusive ex He's with somebody he's been with for a while now, and they seem to be getting along great. Well, good for her. I am glad that he found his match right. and that they are going together. But I am not that girl. It did. It was oil and water. But that's the beauty of the world. The re- So instead of focusing on red flags, I always tell people, follow your gut. Like, you know, when you meet that person and you just click like you, they can finish your sentences. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, we just agree on everything. And life is wonderful. That's and you're like best friends instantly. Those are your people. Those are your yeah. people, whether they're biologically related or not. And if you can find that person when you're dating, I think we try so hard when we're dating to, oh, well, I don't like this about him or her, or she was too that or whatever. Then why are you going on another date with them? Why aren't <laughs> you just dating until you find that person where you're like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? That's why like our grandparents generation, they met and they were married like two, three weeks later you yep. know, and having yep. babies because they didn't screw around. They were like, hey, we we kind of like each other because we go together good and it's easy. And is every mm-hmm. relationship easy? No, but you should click. And these days I just feel people live together. They have children. They're together 10 years. And you ever going to get married? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. How the hell do you not know? You either know or you don't. And if you don't know, then it's probably no. And you probably shouldn't get married, you Mm. know, but we do it. I did it. We all do it. But that's why I don't I don't focus on these red flags. We're all different. My advice to everybody is stick with people you click with. The ones that you don't, you don't have to be, have animosity with, you know, unless you have a real aversion to them, then just don't interact with them if you can, you know, if you can help it. But yeah, everyone else, you can just be polite and kind. It's not that hard. And I don't know why people go out of their way to be rude to others because there's no need for it. Just stick with your people. I'll stick with mine and we'll all be happy. That is true, though. 
And I had an interesting conversation with a friend last night about that. I was like, I don't feel like anybody's inherently wrong or right. It's right. more so what you decide to deal with. Because he, you know, we've seen an event. I'm more so like a intense bodybuilding type of guy. And he does yoga and meditates. And I'm not with any of that. But I'm just like, I don't tell you that you should do what I do. And you don't tell me that I should do what you do. You found what you like. Exactly. I found what I like. We could connect on some other levels, but when it comes to that, that's just not us. But I just feel like some people want to pull and tug oh, on what yes. they feel is best for them or, oh, you should do. I'm like, look, man, I'm not. I know. I'm not. <laughs> I'm no, not I'm the that. same way. I'm the same way. I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. It could be anything from politics to forgiveness to this or that. And I'm just like, you're not going to, in this five minute conversation, change anything about the way I think. Like you think yep. your thing, I'll think mine. I might love you from a little further away now, but you know, yeah. <laughs> we all got to do what we got to do and you're going to have your people and I'll have mine and the world will go round. But, you know, as long as, like I said, my issue is really what, just when people are nasty, when people go out of their way to be rude, where, when they're intentionally trying to hurt you, yeah. when they, when they're abusing you, when they're bullying there's no need for it. There's no need because people really need to understand, you know, like what we've been talking about, the long-term consequences, whatever age you are, you're an adult man still dealing with stuff. I'm going to be 48 and just finally like getting past things yeah. and trying to just live my life regardless of it all and, and which you can do, but mm -hmm. it affects you. And I think honestly, I still firmly believe the words are the worst. The physical stuff is awful. It can be really severe. But man, the the manipulation and gas being gaslighted until you don't even like, you know, you're doubting yourself, you question everything, you don't trust yourself, you don't trust other people that can really muck up your life 100% in every way in, in your career, in your home, you know, in love it with friends, it really affects you. Yeah, yeah it really does. And then I'm, I'm kind of glad that you know, speaking back to uh to my interaction with the guy in the gym, I'm kind of proud of myself for reacting that way and not internalizing it and end yes. up dealing with it like after the fact. Like I can't believe he did. Like after I reacted the way I reacted to protect myself and my and my peace of mind, I let it go immediately. I but love it. what I used to do is just sit there and take it because of the form, because of the way I grew right. up. It's more so like, oh, God, OK, if you, you know, you kind of you you don't want to react because, you know, it's going to be a bigger fire. You right. Know? So it's like. But then you ruminate about it for days and like yep. I should have said this or I should have done that or next time. But then you still you you can't let it go. And I right. used to do the same thing. And I, I applaud you for two things for handling it to the way you did. And I love, love, love that you said you were proud of yourself. Because mm -hmm. that is something that we need. People like you and me, we need to be proud of ourselves. We need that. Just yesterday, I, I I don't even remember what it was, but I said to my husband, I'm proud of myself for this, you know, and usually it's not reacting in a way that I would have or getting past something quickly and just not even like, it's not going to affect me. Not even like, I'll never even see this person again. Like it doesn't even matter in the scheme of my life. Like my life is going to go on and I don't need to give it more energy. And you yeah. need to be proud of yourself for those little wins because until they come regular practice and regular habit for you, yeah. 
you need to acknowledge it because we don't have those other people acknowledging it unless we do, which is great. But, you know, we never did. So we've got to take care of it ourselves. Yeah. And self-love is one of the, uh, you know, a big pillar for me. But then it's like, what does self-love really look like? (laughs) You know, it's not like looking at yourself in the mirrors. It's protecting mental, physical and spiritual self at all costs, you know, so and not letting anyone intrude on that because that could cost you greatly you know like now as adults we have uh we have a choice you know you have a choice to deal with this deal with that i'll tell someone the other day i was like i have a choice to even be a father to my children like i could leave Mm -hmm. and go to florida and nothing will happen to i won't break any law there's no law that says i have to talk to my children that i have to be this i have to be that like even that's a choice you know what I mean? So it's like this the power of choice and choosing, right. especially choosing you is is great. Because <laughs> cause growing up, exactly. I used to think like, oh, and I, I think for me. Go ahead. No, exactly. And I mean, I know people call it self-love. I have actually I, I use the term self-respect mm. just because I feel like that for in my life is more applicable because I need to respect myself enough to validate my own opinions and my feelings, but, you know, to be able to set those boundaries and be able, you know, to kind of set expectations with others of, you know, like, no, you're not going to talk to me that way. When you want to talk to me calmly, let's continue this or whatever it is, you know, being able to have respect for me and stand up for me not in every little tiny situation, but, you know, just generally, you know, would some people call that self-love? Yeah. And it doesn't matter what we call it, but yeah, absolutely. Even if you can't love yourself, respect yourself, have some respect. I always look at it. Like if somebody did this to somebody else, would I think it's right or wrong? Hmm. Because if I take it outside of myself, then I can see it a little more objectively. And then I flip it back and say, okay, then why am I taking it? Why am I letting them do that? Like, and nobody is standing up for me. So I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. That's self-respect or self-love or whatever we want to call it. But you definitely have to feel that for yourself in order to, you know, make the better choices. Otherwise we fall back into those old patterns where, you know, people are going to take advantage and cross our boundaries and, and we don't do anything. And then the next thing, you know, like in my previous marriage, 25 years later, I find out I'm in a completely domestic violent situation and, and literally fighting for my life. And, you know, how do you get there? You get that because somebody pushed your boundaries and you let them. That's right. how. And so I have, um, a question. Uh, so yes. your parents are estranged, right? Your well, your stepfather and your mother. Do you feel like it's more so a positive thing that they are estranged because it may trigger you in some kind of, kind of ways, or you might go back to how you used to feel as a child, or it's like a form of like I would say protection for you to become who you are. You know, like you said, I think you said the past three years. You started to mm-hmm. notice, and when did they become estranged uh, for you? Um, that was back in 2018 or 19, 19, 2019. Okay, so, so just around the years. same, yeah, so just around the same amount of time, right? So I'm trying mm-hmm. to connect this in a way. So it's like they become estranged, and then you started to heal in a different kind of way. Yes. So do you feel like 
Is there any correlation between those two? Because you're not talking to them or dealing with them in a way, you're you're not triggered, you're not reminded, you don't have exactly. anybody saying anything to you. Do you feel like that is what helped you heal, you know, the way you are now? Absolutely. Let me put it to you this way. If every day I walked out of my house and I got punched in the face, I'd probably not be able to heal until I just stayed in my house and and not walked out there to get punched in the face. So Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of thing. Every interaction with them, I would have a full-blown panic attack. I would tremble, shake, have, you know, physical symptoms because of it. Um, I have breathing issues. I have a lung disease now because of the four decades of abuse. Believe it or not, you can develop a lung disease. And the doctor says it's like having COPD and fibromyalgia all at once. So the symptoms are only triggered by stress. Why would I put myself in a stressful situation knowing that I'm going to get punched in the face? I mean, I'm saying that figuratively because as an adult, they have not verbally abused me. It's only been physical or I'm sorry. It's only been verbal, not physical. But it feels the same. The pain is still there. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. Just like if you were dating a girl that was every time you saw her was calling you all kinds of names and treat. Well, I don't know you with your past. You might. No, <laughs> no, no, but, you know, no, what? you're not you're going to end relationships. Is it sad that it's the parents or the kids or the siblings or whatever? Yes, because mm-hmm. I think that. I've always said that one of the worst things in life is to care about somebody more than they care about you. It's devastating. And when these people are alive and well, but you have to basically mourn your relationship with them as if they had died. And, And the problem is you lose everybody else too. And it was actually really traumatic for me because my mother and stepfather stepping back from me, which, you know, we did have a whole conversation around it. And I realized I could not force them to be my parents. They did not want to be my parents. They wanted to be their child's parents, just not mine. I had to accept that. But unfortunately, they also, being narcissists, created a narrative among families, you know, that... I lost a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins because of it that have nothing to do with me, um, want no part of me, just basically shunned me like it was the 1800s or something. Um, (laughs) So I am not just losing my mother and father and my brother and my aunt and that aunt and that uncle. And those cousins, you know, I'm, you know, I think I counted, I lost like 30 people. And then I, I divorced my ex and then his family just completely dissociated with me. I I was part of that family 25 years and they loved me until I got divorced. And then, you know, but he told me too, that he had told them lies about me to make them hate me. So I lost that. I mean, so imagine how I felt. I mean, I had to say it was devastating devastating. I will never forget one night. I'm not going to lie. I took a bottle of Malibu. There wasn't much left in it, but I took it in the shower and I just sat in in the corner of the shower and cried and drank that little bit of Malibu that was in there. I was devastated. Mm. I was devastated. I felt so alone, so alone. Mm. And nobody ever wants to feel that way. Trust me. But I got through the, t- I, I toughed my way through it because you know what, at the end of the day, and it took 
a very good friend who's my priest also telling me this, that I was put here for a purpose. I was meant to be here. And so what if those particular people don't want to be in my life? Look at all these people who do want to be in my life. Yeah. You know, I don't need a thousand Facebook friends. I need my husband. I need my kid. I need my few people, my my few best friends in my life around me. And, you know, we all have like acquaintances we get along with and see once. There are people that love you and care about you. And it's unfortunate if they're not your family. But just because you're biologically related does not mean that you're going to have that connection. So I have to just focus on my energy and time on the people who are for me and not worry about the people that aren't because the people that aren't all they do is bring me pain and agony and hurt and just nothing good comes from it. And I cannot be my best self. I can't have that self-love and self-respect if I'm going to allow other people to make me feel less than what I am or less than what I deserve. You see what I'm saying with that? Yeah, that is powerful. Because I feel like, you know, well, you know, humans are herd mammals. So we want to be around people. Yes. We want to say that we've known somebody for 20 years and they're the yes. best thing that ever happened. But, you know, and I, I deal with that, too, because I, I was actually thinking about that earlier today. Like if I wasn't raised in the environment that I was raised in and I wasn't trying to progress in life, I could say, you know, a lot of my friends fell victim to a lot of different things just based off of the right. societies. And I'm like, wow, there's, you know, maybe my kids are going to be able to say, hey, this is my friend. We went to elementary school together. They own a law firm. This person does this. This person does that. You know, and that'll be a great thing. But for me, it's like it's super lonely because when you want to progress, sometimes you have to leave a lot of people behind because you just can't go back. But with that being said, when you do cut those ties you allow a lot of good to come in in whatever, you know, for whatever form it may be. Cause it's like, cause I told somebody the other day, I was like, yeah, I could either be talking to this person on the phone or I could be talking to that person on the phone. Which one am I going to choose? Exactly. You know, cause you're only allowed a lot of so much time. So it's like, who are you going to spend that time with people that you're going to, you know, that make you feel good about yourself, that speak life into you, that always make you happy when they yes. see you, they're excited and they smile and, you know, they embrace you and they say, how you doing? Or how's the job going? And man, don't worry. You could do, you could do it. Like you got it. You know what I mean? Like people just to speak so much life into you. And with yes. that being said, it allows you to be more vulnerable because, yeah, you know, you're around those supportive people. Which can exactly. I mean, I look at it this way. What you just said, I could be pulling. I could. I could be holding onto a bundle of ropes and dragging my mother and stepfather and all these people who Mm -hmm. like fighting for them, pulling them into my life. What am I doing? I'm putting all my energy into that. Yeah. If I let that go and just be like, okay, I'm I'm done with this. Leave them behind, and I'm going to turn around. I'm going to be like, oh, crap, I've been so busy back here pulling and and forcing. I didn't see all these other people around me that want to hold my hand or or, or help me up the ladder or help me move forward and be the best me. I, I my tunnel vision comes off when I leave those people behind. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I mean, I'm freer. I'm lighter, literally and figuratively. and, And I'm open then you know, to everything else that's around me. And 
you know, yeah, it's nice to have people that you can say, like you said, that you've known 20, 30 years, but I'll tell you what, since I've been, you know, doing podcasting and my outreach with my book, with book signings and things, I have met some people that I know are going to be friends for life. Those people that I'm clicking with, you know, why? Because they get me, they understand me. They, they, they are for me. They're yeah. cheering me on and I'm cheering them on too. And we're on the same side. Mm-hmm. I don't have to force it, right. you know? And so I don't need the 20 years or the 30 years I've got today. I could be gone tomorrow, but today I've got people in my life that I really appreciate and I value and they value me in the same way. And that's all you need. That's true. And, uh, and, you know, and also allowing those people to be in your life yes, and not being subjective to, you know, how you were raised. Cause I, I even met some people, you know, within the past couple of years and it's just like, wow, like I trusted you in my house alone with my children. There are people yes. that I grew up with who I will never do that. You know, like I will yeah. never let that happen, but it's like, I just, you know, like you just know when it's right. You know, it's like you kind of exactly. kind of know, you know, it's like, come on, you know, this, you, you, you know, once you once you take the blinders off and you take people for as they are and not just give them the enabling excuses and, yes. you know, whatever you just stop take trying it. To take force it. it. Yes. Yeah, Either to it, it goes or it doesn't. It's like putting yep. on a shoe. Either you're going to put it on or you're not going to put it on. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be too big, too tight to if you got to anything. Right. Get it off your foot and find the one that fits. Yeah. Yeah. But I tell people all that and I tell people that all the time. I'm like, look, man, this isn't for me. You know, but I hope you find something that I'm not trying to waste your time. And, right, you know, it's like, hey, that's just what it is. Exactly. Well, this has been a great conversation. Very <laughs> therapeutic in a way. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very therapeutic. And um, so you're also writing another book. Can you talk to us about the new book? Yeah, I've actually got two coming. Um, I have a prequel and a sequel. So Gasping for Air, um, which is currently available anywhere you can find books online. It is about my former marriage, 25-year relationship to a narcissist and and everything that transpired. The prequel, um, which the publisher has right now, talks about my childhood, which we talked at length about today. But There's a lot there. So there's a whole book. And then I am also writing the sequel um, to Gasping for Air, which kind of focuses more on my current marriage. I unfortunately had another narcissist enter my life that I I should have seen coming. I know I should know Mm -hmm. the signs by now, but this was somebody I'd known a very, very long time who turned on me and and we get into smear campaigns and and all this ugly nastiness of reality, but it also talks about love after a traumatic and abusive relationship because it is a little different than mm-hmm. you know being with somebody who hasn't been through stuff. You know, my right. husband grew up in a very tight knit family. Very, you know, there there was a lot of love between his parents and his siblings. Still is. Um, so, you know, talk about not understanding. He right. can't conceive of the things that I've told him about and that he's even witnessed, you know, in the time that we've known each other. So, you know, it kind of takes a little twist about, you know, the our own little, I hate to call them struggles, but, you know, adjustments that we've had to make with each other to have 
what is actually a very healthy relationship. I never thought I could have a healthy relationship, but here I am having one and it's wonderful. And I want to give hope to people that, you know, they can have that too, because, you know, we keep saying it, but we're human. We want connection. You know, I know Mm -hmm. people tend to say, oh, I'm going to be alone. I'm not going to be with anybody. But, and I said that too. And I said no to my husband several times, but then I Mm -hmm. finally just said, Lord, fine, let's just go out, you know, and and best thing I ever did, best chance I ever took, because I think it has actually helped me heal more and faster to be with somebody who is kind and respectful and validates me and, and helps me see myself in, in a more positive light than I would have if I was alone and probably feeling sorry for myself. So, you know, the, the sequel, we'll talk about kind of all this mess of things, but, you know, definitely just giving a little twist on love after trauma and what happens when you're dealing with another narcissist in the middle of trying to put your life together after everything. Wow. It's juicy stuff. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so you have to tell us about the beginning and the ending. Matt, I know. And, and I'm uh, doing it like Star Wars. I gave you yeah. a book and now we're going backwards, forwards, all over, but we'll cover it all. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like that's important to know because we, yeah. you know, once when I read about your story, I was like, we can't miss any of that. Like we have to know how this developed, you know, and you know, yeah. how where you are now, because if it's not told in a linear fashion, it could kind of throw somebody off because, right. you know, like, you know, because there's a reason why you chose what you chose. And oh, I exactly. to go through that, you know, because exactly. there's a reason why a lot of us make these choices. You know, there's a reason why I thought it was OK to still still be with someone that pulled a knife out on me. You know, it's like, oh, well, yeah. it's like, no, that's crazy, because if. My son told me that I'll be like, nah, bro, leave her alone. Right. Right. Yeah, we do it. We've done it. And we have, like you said, there's always a reason we are complex beings. There's no solid, like I would never do that. Or we never would either. And we did. And and it happens, but there, there is definitely an explanation for that. And I hope I can provide them in these books. I'm pretty direct and I just say what it is and, and it, it it might not be what people think or what they want to see, but it, it definitely provides a perspective. Yeah. And it's your story, you know, and, yeah. but then also know that if, if someone doesn't know the root cause, it can never really be solved. So exactly. We, ha- we have to get to the root. You got to the root, you know, in a I tremendous did. way. Like it was, it was fat. It made sense. Like, the reason why my Everything mother acted like sense. this is because yep. she had a child at her teenage years and she didn't want to have a child. Then she got with the man. Of course, you know how the step parents relationships go. It's like, yeah. well, if you don't want her, I definitely don't want her. You know, I want you exactly. to myself, you know? So all of that does need to be understood in order to help other people, because even though it may not be the same exact story, you can still extract from it whatever you will to understand your situation and help you. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate. I've with this first book, I've had too many people say that they could relate or that it was like I told their story. So um, they'll probably be able to relate to the childhood stuff, too, in many ways. And it's sad, but you know what? We're going to stick together. We're going to stay stronger and we're going to all help each other you know, get, move past it and live our lives because we deserve that. And we deserve the love and we deserve everything that life has to offer, no matter what our circumstances. Yep. And this is the best way to do it. Cause like you said, there's no 
jail time for people that did these this type of abuse you can't go to jail for verbally abusing people you know they could still walk around so it's like what can we do to help those people to bring about a better humanity and you are doing this by sharing your story writing books and letting people um you know giving people your story and i feel like that's a tremendous thing and kudos to you for that you know because you're with this with the, the i cannot wait to send this to a couple of my 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 sisters, my friends, you know, like yes. this has been powerful because a lot of times I end up noticing that my friends, like my super close friends, went through things and you know they just hold it in. They don't want to share it. But then I'm like, what? I had no idea you, you you know you had a parent on drugs and you went through this, you went through that. But then you know you go on Instagram, you see them, they're smiling, they're happy, but they internalize um. certain things. And they have just like, they don't know where to go with it. You know, like they don't even want to talk about it. So, you know what? I had somebody say it once and it's the truth. A good friend of mine said, just like, you know, the abusers, the narcissists, they, they wear a mask out, out in society among other people. But we, as victims and survivors, we wear the mask too. Yeah. We're covering it all up too, which is why I'm not doing it anymore. We're going to (laughs) just let it all out. Yep. (laughs) wow that's great that's great oh man this has been wonderful so dana in closing um i would like to ask you how would you want to impact the world when it's all said and done like when you're about to go to that whatever heaven or whatever place you imagine (laughs) how what kind of legacy um would you want to leave behind this sounds very idealistic but all i want Literally all I want in life is for everybody to just try a little harder to be kind because it's not, it it doesn't cost anything. It really isn't hard. I feel like it takes much more effort to hurt other people, whether it's through jealousy, bullying, whatever, just be kind. Because imagine if you're kind to your spouse or your partner, your roommate, your kids, whoever you're living with, and then they go out into that world with the positivity and your kid's nice to another kid at school, and your spouse is nice to a coworker and does them a favor at work, you know, and you go and buy somebody, you know, a coffee at church or whatever. Imagine if everybody just spread a little kindness, just a little, little kindness. That's mm-hmm. all you have to do. We'd have a domino effect into our communities, into the greater world. It, it sounds nice at least, but we should at least try. I I, I definitely agree. Because me, walk, I walk to school and everybody's nice, says hi and smiling. And, you know, with I feel like me experiencing that gets me way more agitated when I experience something negative because right. I just become accustomed to people being kind and nice. So <laughs> so if it's anything opposite of that, I'm kind of agitated. I'm like, nah, I can't. I don't want to be around this. You know, See, and so. I've had the opposite. I've had mostly people are unkind to me. So when somebody is nice, I, I remember it. It sticks out in my head. So I am just hoping that more people can find it within themselves to be a little more considerate and courteous. Think a little yeah. bit more outside yourself. You know, and yeah. remember, we all have our thing. We have our issues. We have our history. We just got to try, try a little harder. Right, right. And this is just a recent thing now. You know, I just started this. But trust me, it isn't, you know, I'm, I'm just getting used to it because I, I got to take them to school every day. So it's like, 
you know, I'm just around at the crosswalk, the cross guard. Good morning. And, you know, just smiles yeah. and how you doing and parents saying hi to my kids, you know, so it's just it's different. Like I, I got used to it, you know, after doing it for so you know, for the past. Well, that's a good years. thing. I'm glad right. that you're used to kindness. That is a good thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But you got to get in it, you know, fully yes. immersed in it in order to know. So exactly. um, Dana, where can people find you if they want to, you know? Do you have yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say go to my website. That's the best spot. Dana Um, It's spelled D-I-A-Z. Um, there's a, a quiz on there to see if you're in an abusive relationship. My link for my book is on there. And if you sign up for the little newsletter email, you will get updates of when the new books are coming out. There's also a blog on there that I contribute to monthly. And then every podcast I've been on, including this one, will be posted on my press room page so you can listen. And if you know somebody that you think is in an abusive relationship, it is a lot to ask them to read a book, but you can certainly share this episode or any other podcast that is applicable because they're probably more likely to listen to a podcast on the way to work or somewhere um, that might influence them or make them rethink their situation. So please do so. All right. Thank you so much. So again, Dana, thank you so much for sharing your story. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Um, I definitely plan on reconnecting with you soon after those two books are finished. So we're going to talk <laughs> about that. So yeah, have a great day and yeah, keep, keep it up. Will do. And you as well. Thank you.